Welcome to Seeing Red the Pod, episode 56, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today, as always, are April and Melody. Hi, ladies. How's it going? Hello. I'm a hot mess. First of all, (laughs) I want to say thank you to our patron, Dave, who is so good about letting me know when the audio on the podcast feed is terrible. Um, so thank you, Dave. I am we not didn't know. Would you tell me that? And also thank you for being a patron and supporting our work. But I cleared out my computer because I am the audio problem, guys. Anytime there's an audio problem, it's always me. Uh, so I cleared out my computer. I removed a bunch of files. I just did everything I could think to clean it up so it could run faster, run better. Uh, April gave me an Ethernet cord to plug directly into the Wi-Fi. Uh, Turns out my laptop does not have an outlet for that. Um, I already bought a second modem to go in the basement. That's because we've had audio problems with me before. Anyway, I have crashed my computer and now I have to take it into the shop tomorrow. Uh, So I'm now recording on my phone, which... You know, we recorded the interview before we did this bit, and my computer died, <laughs> or, or my phone died. But then it took like thirty minutes to start char- to charge enough I could go back on. So I only came in at the tail end of the interview. So anyway, our dear listeners, I am so sorry if my audio is cruddy, and I am doing everything possible to fix it. You know, so just thanks for hanging in there, and just know I do not take it lightly when our audio feed is funky and it I take total responsibility I'm trying to fix it so thanks for letting me know um and we're working on it we're we're working on it we have the best patrons we think of something special we really do and they really do help a lot um I think people don't always realize I mean we have a lot of web hosting and you know, Seeing Red has a lot of different websites for various topics. And so those fees are due every year. So the patrons cover that. Um, with a person who runs our Facebook and an inst- our Instagram, which she posts all the time. And she is, uh, she's just this really, really, really incredible uh, dynamic person. But her office chair broke, so we bought her an office chair so she could actually, as all the hours that she's sitting doing that, um, you know, it's just really pragmatic stuff like that. Like, it's going to cover getting my computer looked at to figure out why when I opened Zoom tonight, it was blue screen of death, and then it started buzzing at the same time. <laughs> what is that? Um, Everything so is terrible. <laughs> no, like... You know, like it, this is unpaid labor of love. We love to do it, but it just really helps with some of these pragmatic, um, very, uh, very real expenses of just keeping things alive. Um, yes. It just keeps, you know, we just, we just appreciate it. So we should bring well, in. Yeah. We got to bring on our guests. We have a great guest today. Yeah. And again, if there's anybody you guys want to hear us talk to, let us know and we will try to get them on the pod. All right, Stephanie, All right. bring on Kate. Kate High is here to talk about money and politics. She's a lifelong Nebraskan, but has been in Lincoln since 1990. She worked for 30 years for the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services. She's married with kids, grandkids, and dogs. She believes money and politics is the biggest issue facing Nebraska. Hi, Kate. Welcome. 
Thank you for having me. Welcome, Kate. Hi. We are so excited to have you here. Money and politics, it, they go hand in hand, and it is often this unsung topic, you know, like people really, it's not exciting, it's not sexy, but it is what greases the entire political machine. So we are so, we've been excited. Um, we've had you booked for two weeks and we've been excited every day to record this pod. Uh, so thank you. And I'm so glad that you were able to come tonight. Well, I'm glad to talk. It's my favorite subject. And um, it's like you put a nickel in me and it's hard to shut me up about it because once I started discovering the, the um money and politics and how it affects our legislative um, body, the unicameral, I have just said more people need to understand how this works. Yeah. Kate, you. Where are you from Nebraska? Well, I come from north central Nebraska, Albion, which um, is the county seat of Boone County. And um, my, I'm just deeply, deeply into Nebraska. My parents and grandparents, we're all from Nebraska. We're all from that same neck of the woods up there, Tilden, Norfolk, Albion area. Um, I uh, grew up, I was born in Wayne, Nebraska, and uh, grew up all my years in Albion um, from kindergarten all the way to when I graduated. My dad was the town dentist and my mother was a nurse. And uh, there was four of us. I found out as an adult, which is an interesting story on its own, that there was actually five of us. <laughs> and it took a DNA match to, to find that out. But as I was growing up, I was the middle, middle daughter of three daughters. And then I had an older brother. I was from a very, very, very early age interested in politics. And I think what sparked my interest in politics is that my mother invited all the neighborhood ladies over in 1952. Can you, if you can imagine 1952, and I am four years old at this point, to watch the Republican convention on our little tiny Philco television set. We were the only people in the neighborhood who had a television. And on that, I saw a baby elephant at this convention, which totally transformed my little brain at that point that I, I heard about Republicans and I saw that baby elephant. And anytime anybody said Republican from then on, all I could think of was this baby elephant. But I had from a very early age, an, ex, an intense interest in politics. My mother subscribed to things like Harper's and um, the New Republic. And there really wasn't a lot to read in our household. So from the time I was about in the fourth grade, I was reading these these magazines from cover to cover because there wasn't anything else. So I had a pretty good understanding of politics. So when I went off to college in the 60s, I was all armed for Vietnam and the civil rights movement. I majored in political science and then went on to graduate school in Washington University and then came back and married a farmer. And I lived for many years on a farm at a working farm with Charolais cattle and pigs and horses and geese and all of the whole thing. And then we moved to Lincoln. And then I wasn't married to the farmer anymore and I'm remarried now. But for 30 years, I worked for the state of Nebraska, starting in as a frontline worker where I processed people who would apply for food stamps and Medicaid and whatever. And uh, I was their worker. And then I moved, I became a supervisor and then I was in policy and I was a trainer. And I spent the last, oh, several years in program accuracy. 
um, and I was the person that was going to try to make the cases right. So when the federal auditors came through, they would not cite an error. So that was that was my life for many years. I did a lot of spreadsheet analysis, trying to figure out where the mistakes were coming from and developing corrective action training for that. So I have been retired for several years and um, my neighbor lady immediately knew I had retired and came down and said, well, why don't you join the League of Women Voters? <laughs> and uh, she says, and by the way, we need a new treasurer. <laughs> so I became the treasurer uh, overnight and uh, got deeply involved in the League of Women Voters. And they paid for me to attend a money and politics conference in Colorado. And I still have the notes from that, which was just absolutely fabulous eye-opener. And that has led me to understanding uh, how different Nebraska was from other states, but also just really drove me forward to understand how other states and other leagues of women voters. So from there, I wrote three reports uh, for the League of Women Voters on my on money and politics, and those are stored in the National Clearinghouse aware of of reports that get generated from all over the country. And you can those are available now. You could go out there and pull those reports. I have decided since then that um, I do better as an independent researcher than uh, playing through the committee role. Um, it goes through too many hands before it can finally get the approval to do this. So even though the league has given me wonderful opportunities and got me started, I have, I have now moved out and just stand on my own as a researcher. So from there, I've got kids and grandkids and dogs and, um, uh, my life is just, I think, in many ways, a very uh, normal Nebraskan. I feel very small town. I feel very connected to Nebraska very deeply. That is like so, there's just such an aspiring story. And one thing I've really noticed when we talk to people who are doing amazing things in Nebraska, and they're almost like, one person crusades about a certain advocacy topic, it is really common for them to have political parents, civically engaged parents. It's really common for them to be from small towns. Um, and I just think it shatters a lot of the stereotypes that people who want reasonable governance, people who want a change in government, people who think Pete Ricketts is doing a bad job at multiple <laughs> levels. They're not these false tropes of, you know, screaming banshee women. I mean, some of them are, and those are my very best of friends in the world, but some, but many of them aren't, you know, That's true. it's, it, this is reasonable stuff that we're talking about. Um, and it's wild to me that things like campaign money, is often seen as so controversial, but it's just, it's not. And you're not, Kate. You are uh, just, your life story is incredible. And so. Yes, it's, it certainly has been a journey for me. And I, but I, I do feel when I was in Washington University, there came this moment where um, I discovered Willa Cather. And from, I took this pause in my graduate work and I read a Willa Clather novel every single day. 
And I decided that I had to go back to Nebraska. I had to be there to see those sunsets. And uh, from then on, I just knew that I needed I needed to be in Nebraska. And that was that was a big sea change for me. And I guess I have to blame it on Willa Cather. It's all her fault. But it's ironic. My daughter was born on Willa Cather's birthday. I didn't plan it that way. <laughs> but she has been a big influence in my life. That reminds me, at some point, we need to reach out to Melissa Homestead, who is a professor at the university who just published a book on um, Willa Cather. Yes. And I need to read that book, A, and we need to talk to her on the pod. But that is an aside. April, can we please yeah. go to your question, which is the meat <laughs> of what we really want to talk about? That's all right. Thank you for um, you know, allowing me to go down this path. I just, I just love to know more about people's lives. I think most of our listeners know, but what's a succinct, you know, definition? What's dark money mean? Well, dark money can mean a lot of things. And depending on the circumstances that you're talking about it, it takes on different meanings. But the big, if you want to know that kind of global interpretation, it's anytime you don't know the true source of a campaign donation. And that can take on a lot of different connotations. But typically, it means dark money organizations that get involved in elections right before an election. They show up and they they distribute these attack ads. Um, In 2016, we saw this example happen, but it also it's happened every year. But in 2016, there were three state senators. It was uh, Al Davis, Jerry Johnson and Les Seiler, who were all All three of them are Republicans, and they were all coming up for their second term. They were incumbents running for a second term. And right at the close of the session in 2016, uh, there were were, uh, Governor Ricketts issued three votes that were very significant. One was the death penalty. One was DACA driver's license. Driver's license for DACA, those are the delayed action on childhood arrivals. These are the, the dreamer children. And third... We were the only state in the union that didn't allow them to have driver's licenses, I believe, at that point. So this was to allow them to be able to go to work to have a driver's license. And the third one was the gas tax increase. He vetoed those. So then they they went in to override his veto. And these three state senators did not affirm the governor's veto. And with that, um, they, uh, they overrode all three of his vetoes. At the Republican convention, uh, Governor Ricketts got up that that summer and vowed that they were coming after these people, these senators who were not, that he said he wanted platform Republicans in uh, this place. And they got three candidates to run against him. And so things are rolling around. These were popular back home guys. These were not radicals. They were Republicans very much embedded in their community, community leaders. And, but about starting a month before the election, there became a stream of these attack ads, nasty postcards, just awful, insulting postcards, one after another. Seven, eight, nine, ten of these came uh, to every voter in these districts. This would be very expensive. Just imagine these are about $15,000 per mailing. And they, the only thing that it said on it was Trees of Liberty, where it said Americans for Prosperity, Nebraska. So who are these organizations? Well, they are a, they are a nonprofit 
that does not have to disclose their donors. So all we know is Trees of Liberty, and it's a post office box in Colorado someplace. We have no idea. These people could all be foreigners. They could be from Russia. We have no idea who donated, although many people skeptically believe Governor Ricketts was in back of it. We can't prove it. We don't know where the money came from. That is dark money. But there are other ways you, uh, money can be go dark too. Let's just say that I am a nonprofit corporation and I'm allowed to do some political activity and I decide to donate to my favorite candidate and I lop over a big unlimited donation and then all of a sudden uh, that candidate's money is dark money. It is, you know, so it looks just like a donation, but where did it come from? Just recently. Because it went to their. So when it goes into their campaign fund, but we don't know where, where these, where did this, this nonprofit get their money to make this donation. So that's dark money that has now gone into somebody's campaign fund. And so that campaign fund is really becomes dark money in itself. It has been transformed into dark money. Yeah. So what, so one of the problems you're saying is that nonprofits can donate to candidates and nonprofits are not required to list their donors. Yes. You know, it is, that is, they can only do this in a limited way. We just saw something really recently in the news. I don't know if you saw this. It was called collective prosperity. Uh, Collective prosperity is a nonprofit out of Ohio. They do not have an IRS status Mm -hmm. uh, from the IRS that's saying they're a 501c3 or c4. They are only a nonprofit, you know, in Ohio. That's that's how shaky they are. And they only have a post office box and they donated two point three million dollars to the anti-gambling initiative. That's not shady at all. Well, but it gets more interesting than that because they forgot (laughs) or they forgot. You can just use air quotes on that one uh, to file the necessary forms with the Accountability and Disclosure Commission. And the fine that they were supposed to have was 10% of $2.3 million, which is what, 200,000, 200 and whatever thousand that is. And um, the Accountability and Disclosure Commission, I just happened to be at that meeting that day, um, decided that was just too much for them to bear, even though the, the person who is in charge of this uh, so-called nonprofit collective prosperity also runs another corporation called Axiom that does nothing but the political uh, accounting for Republican issues. That's all he does. That's that's it. That's the only thing this guy does. And he runs his collective prosperity, which sounds a lot to me like Americans for prosperity. Yeah. And the two point three million dollars went into Governor Ricketts' favorite. Organization uh, initiative, yeah, that's a pet project. Yeah, yeah, a little it's really interesting because I want to ask you a question. So when we talk about dark money in Nebraska, we we talked about nonprofits. We talked about what what did you call collective prosperity? What kind of organization? It was an it was a nonprofit, but it didn't even have an IRS oh, status, and yet. it wasn't even registered here in the state. Yeah, it wasn't even registered. Okay. So what other ways did dark money commonly happen in Nebraska? 
dark money can happen through what they call LLCs, limited liability corporations. And there's a lot of dark money that is switch, switching over to LLCs because it's less hassle. You don't have to go through the IRS. And it's more, it's actually less, less, less disclosing than uh, having to fulfill all the IRS requirements for a nonprofit. So that's one way. What is an way. example of an LLC? Are there any in Nebraska that are doing a lot that um, we might need to know their names? Uh, I don't have any off the top of my head, but there I have heard through various sources that LLCs are the way that they can switch things over. Um, you certainly heard that with the Trump uh, campaign. They were they had these two foreigners who formed this LLC, and then they bought yeah. tickets for the Trump inauguration out of this LLC, and that's foreign money. So that's that's illegal. So they were yeah. just siphoning it through the LLC and then moving it off uh, into Trump's inaugural committee. So that's that's that that's on the national level. But we can expect to see that here. They don't need to do it here because they can get by with it in other ways. They don't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. What about PAC contributions? How do those fall into this? Well, PAC contributions can be a way of dark money because dark money groups can make donations to PACs and they can they will have to disclose their donors. But all you get is like, well, that was a donation from uh, Americans for Prosperity or some other dark money outfit. And, and so you're against. So PACs have to disclose. But what they disclose is, is an organization that doesn't have to to disclose. Um, so it can be also, I just want to say this, and it's it's not really a sign of dark money, but it is an example of how money can kind of be dark. I, the NSEA, the Nebraska State Education Association, is one of the largest contributors to unicameral races. They are typically very at the top of the list. And you would think that you could look up the pack and find out who is funding the pack? You would expect to see a list, and there is no one on the list. There is no donations, and that is because of the two hundred and fifty dollar, what I call dark. It isn't. It isn't dark money. It is like darkish money uh, that uh, you don't have to disclose, and that is because it comes out of teachers. Uh, teachers donate in there, and all of their. Their, their donations that go into this pack over the course of the year come to two hundred less than $250. So I don't see this as threatening because we just know that it's a block of teachers, but it is an example how um, the, the disclosure we would expect to see is just not there. Yeah, no, um, I'm a teacher, I'm an NSCA member and I donate to the pack and my <laughs> name's not on it. Um, but like you said, we know like, okay, these are teachers. It's not like, who are these people um, in general? We have no clue. We don't even know if they're foreign money, you know? Um, no. But there are other unions that maybe I'd want to know a little more about. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's just. The Realtors Pack. Yes, the Realtors. Yeah, and our they pack. have a huge, I mean, they have a huge influence on building and TIF funds and so many other state laws that affect other lines of money in this state um, that no, I totally get what you're saying. And you know, I have no problem with people knowing the amount I donate to the teacher union every year. And that is not everyone in the union either. That is a separate 
just like the, the realtors pack is you don't have to choose to donate your dues do not go to that no and i do believe that you can request a, a refund on your if you want your your yes, pack money you back at the end yes that's all i was i belong to the uh, NAEP when I was a state employee and I know and I was on the board of directors for a while and they they, they would have a group of people every year that would say I want my money back they didn't get very much <laughs> but it was a little <laughs> it's it's really not very much <laughs> I if I could just pick up on something that you mentioned because um it's been the focus of some of my research and I'm just gonna I'm gonna try not to uh get too techy with numbers but um, when you look at the donations to the Nebraska legislature, and that's that's where I focus most of my time, is that most of the money that is being donated comes from donors who are donating $2,000 or more. Um, and the, the small percentage of really the minor amount of, of donations are the donors that donate between $250 and $2,000. Those, and then we have this, this other group, which is all of this $250, uh, they're under the itemizing threshold. So you really don't know who those are. But if you look at what I would call the big piece of pie, which is the $2,000 plus, and you start looking at who are these donors? These donors tend to be, I'm just going to put it out there. These donors tend to be more Republican. Mm -hmm. They tend to be white. They tend to be male and they tend to be Christian. So when we look at what we have in the legislature, the legislature becomes a mirror of the donors. Mm -hmm. the donors are deciding who is going to get elected and the electors, the, the people they elect look like them. So sometimes what I think we need to do when we talk about how do we get more women in the legislature? Or how do we get more progressive people? How do we get a more diverse legislature that is more reflective of Nebraska demographics? We have to look at who is the donor pool. Mm -hmm. And right now the big guys are just crowding out everybody else. And I think that this is the central takeaway that we need to understand is if we want more women, we want a more diverse, we need to we need to broaden that that base, that donor base out. And that's why we need some some regulation in there. So when we get back and we start talking about our pack, which is the realtor pack. Our pack is overwhelmingly Republican. And I used the rule the 80 and white and male. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Although there are some female realtors, but when there you are. see who's in charge, then you can kind of get what's going on. But if our pack is, is I use the rule that if, if they donated 80% of their money to uh, one party or more, that put them in the partisan category. And we have Democratic partisans and we have Republican partisan elite donors, but there's way, way more on the other side, on the Republican side, there's just more Republican money. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. this might look different in different states. So if you were in California or some New York state, it might look the other way, but here in Nebraska, it's overwhelmingly yeah. Republican money. Um, so, besides just, I mean, it is absolutely overwhelmingly Republican, but I think that makes a really good case for why we need to make changes to our political funding because I don't know that many people who can give two grand 
over and over again to their pet projects or more. And so it's those, it's people with a lot of money who are having more influence on yes. legislation than the rest of us. And that is not okay because- <laughs> Well, I think it really shows up. I think you're exactly right. Your analysis is that when you start looking at issues and there's no money driving the issue forward, mm -hmm. you don't see a lot of progress. And I think one of them is prison overcrowding. Uh, you know, prisoners can't vote. Uh, there's no there's no there's no voice like the wealthy interests. And the same thing you can see that with child welfare. And Medicaid and, and the number of times that uh, things have had to go through the initiative and referendum process because the legislature just can't act. And we yep. did that with minimum wage mm -hmm. and we did that with Medicaid expansion. Those are two things that wealthy white guys uh, are not interested in. But if you go out yeah. and talk to the people in Nebraska, yeah, they are interested and they want it. So it takes... It takes the Nebraska, you know, look at the Nebraska voters and look what they mm -hmm. want. They want, I think they want marijuana legalization. Yep. And I, I think they want child care, good child care, child yep. welfare issues. They, yep. People, I think that Nebraska people, when you take the politics out of them and you say, don't you want to know, make sure that children, all children are taken care of and that they're mm -hmm. healthy and safety and they're nutritional and we, they live in safe homes? I don't think they're going to say, well, you know, I don't know if we can get that out of committee or not. Really? Why not? <laughs> Right. Yeah, really. I, I just think people are decent. I mean, the town that I yeah. grew up in, we, we wouldn't have liked that. Right. But as soon as, like, as, soon as you cast it in a political, as soon as you make it a political issue, then it, then it, you, you can't talk about right. it anymore. But if you're just a mom caring about kids, they know plenty good what, what the issue is. Yep. And I think we see that over and over again in school bond issues. They pass over and over and over again, you know. One yes. of Nebraska's yeah. redeeming qualities. <laughs> well, you know, if you're if you're in a small town, everybody knows everybody's business, or they think they know, and they know. And I think that that there isn't a formal method, but things kind of get taken care of informally. But but people do care. They they care that kids come to school and they're healthy and clean and they're 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 well they're well nourished and there's people watching out. And I think we all want that. Uh, so they want Medicaid. They want we want that. We want good government services that that meet the needs of. They everyone. want their roads fixed. Mm -hmm. They want their schools to be open. <laughs> they want hospitals in rural Nebraska. That's where my where babies were born. All takes money. <laughs> I was yes. pretty small. Um, so, okay. I had the privilege of hearing you speak about this once upon a time. And you talked about, you talked about how Nebraska compares to other states in terms of campaign contribution regulations. Right. Right. That was to me, like, uh, there's two, two main points. I, I've had them out of my research. And if I would have been, the type of person that was still smoking, I've quit for a number of years, that would have sent me into smoking again. But there's two <laughs> things. One is that that you can shut your eyes and you don't have to know anything about the candidates or positions. You don't have to know, know who's got who's a Republican, who's a Democrat, or if they're a male or female, or where they live in the state. All you have to know is one thing, and that's how much money they raised. And the guys who raised the most win the most. But the other thing... Tell me what was the other thing? So, no, so, well, that's, I want to, I want to highlight that real quick. So it's basically, it, the more money you make, the more you win. 
Yes. So in 75 to 80 percent of the time. Uh, and I just wish that I could take those kind of odds and go to the racetrack because I get very wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, the, so- but the other thing is how Nebraska compares to other states. Yes. And that's 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 another one that would have uh, got me started. Even like bit. our neighbors, yes. like people not we're not talking about coasts, right? Our neighbors. What are our neighboring right. states doing differently than us? So basically is that I know what, you know, you hear about California or Florida or New York State, and that doesn't seem like us. And so I have developed a comparison between Nebraska and the surrounding states. So we're looking at Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, Colorado, Wyoming, South Dakota, I think I've named them all. And what what's going on in our neighborhood and comparing that? And even by Midwest standards, we are singularly unregulated um say that again even by midwest standards even by the midwest very unregulated yeah we're very highly unregulated and uh, particularly the uh the comparison between nebraska and colorado is particularly extensive you know extended extreme um but most states most most states and certainly among our neighboring states, there's limits on how much any one individual can donate. So like usually Governor Ricketts donates to legislative races, something in the area of $135,000 in one year. If that, and if you divide that over what he usually donates to maybe 10 or 12 candidates, But if you were looking in Colorado, the maximum the governor could donate would be like $200. So his donation, I would put my my $200 donation up against his $200 donation. And we're more equal. But the same thing is true with corporations. In most states and at the federal government, corporations are totally banned from donating. Yeah. They can, they, they're, so there is none of this nonprofit business. If you're a nonprofit, you can't donate. If you're an LLC, you can't donate. If you're just any kind of corp. Mm-hmm. And that, <clears throat> so they're just out. Um, but in Nebraska, it's unlimited. They can donate millions yeah. of dollars. And we have seen some of these instances of pay to play by these big corporations. So right at the time, there's big decisions getting made about uh, their, their point of interest or like in the instance that I have created, I've written about was the managed Medicaid contract with Centene. We interviewed someone about that, yeah. And also with the St. Francis contract Mm -hmm. over there in Omaha, they're all the examples of pay to play. Well, it just wouldn't exist in other states because corporations can't donate. It would Mm -hmm. just put a big X over that. So we create all of these ethical conflicts and questions that should just not even be there. The other, uh, in many states, PACs uh, are limited. They, they might have a limit of making, um, you know, maybe $1,000 total. That would be all that they could donate. Uh, and in Nebraska, what we have is we have two categories that you can donate in. You can either be an individual, which is like one human being, or anything else, which is a non-individual. We don't separate out a corporation from a PAC, from a union. And there's really good reason to separate those out, but we know it just goes into one big 
pot right there. And the rule is you can just donate as much as you want. Has it, has it always been like that? I mean, if all the places around us do it differently, did, did they used to do it like we did or have we always done it like this? Do you know any? Well, Nebraska's had a unfortunate history kind of, but a lot of this campaign finance regulation really came in with the Watergate years. Uh, and that's when the, the, they passed this law in Nebraska. It was called the Sunshine Act. And it was supposed to provide more disclosure about campaign finances. And at that point, they, that's when the Accountability and Disclosure Commission was formed. And they were supposed to have oversight. This was our watchdog uh, for campaign finances. And so things were kind of rolling along. There weren't any campaign finance limits. But for a period of time from, I think, something like 1990 to about 2010, 2012, Nebraska had what they called the Campaign Finance Limitation Act. And that was a, a public financing option. And it was working pretty well and the cost of campaigns uh, was really kept down. And then Arizona had a similar law, which was ruled unconstitutional. And just like in a flash, they took the same set of circumstances into Nebraska Supreme Court and it was ruled unconstitutional. And overnight that whole law just collapsed. Well, and I thought we what, could find out who financed that original lawsuit, <laughs> too, and that would be another So, law. well, there was a lot of hanky-panky. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I don't even want to go. That's a very interesting story on its own. But, yes. but uh, what happened is that overnight, this law didn't exist. And what happened was that these old laws, like from the 70s and 80s, became the law. That was what it was. Uh, and that's the way it's been ever since. They never mm. came back. So what happened in Arizona? Arizona said, okay, we've got a little problem with this law here. Let's go fix it so it meets that constitutional test. Well, that never happened in Nebraska. So what we have are these very old time laws that really don't really apply to modern times. And there are, there are several instances, because it irritates me, is that for example, in the Nebraska law, it says all PACs that make donations in Nebraska have to register with the Accountability and Disclosure Commission, except that when I go out and I read records, I have this list from the Accountability and Disclosure Commission that has all the PACs on it, and these PACs are not on this list. So I write a little note to the head of the Accountability and Disclosure Could you please explain to me why this, this PAC is not on this list. And they said, well, it's a federal PAC and we don't have to do it. Well, I think, well, but the law says you got to do it. And they said, no, no, that's a federal PAC. So there's lots of these things where the law, the federal law and regular law have, have really moved on, but they haven't really cleaned this, these laws up uh, so, that it needs to, that they need to, to make it consistent. Yeah. So that sounds like one thing we ought to do in Nebraska. Um, but I wanted to go back and just emphasize real quick for the next question. So what you're saying is in Nebraska, PAC contributions are unlimited. Corporate contributions are unlimited. Right. Nonprofit contributions are unlimited. And union contributions are unlimited. Right. Therefore, <laughs> that's like absolutely zero regulation. 
I mean, well, that's like the bare minimum of regulation. Those couple things you just Well, yeah, it gets more interesting than that because I'm going to go back to this collective prosperity, which is mm-hmm. an obvious dark money outfit that made $2.3 million. So we're not talking about a little nonprofit like the League of Women Voters. We're talking about $2.3 yeah. And we don't know where the money came from. And they're only a post office box in Dublin, Ohio. So when it became apparent that the guy who's running the place is very knowledgeable about campaign finance law and he just didn't file the reports, they should have paid a 200 and some thousand dollar um, fine. They don't, it's not a fine. It's a fee. I've learned that. It's a fee. They were supposed to pay this, but it came before the accountability and disclosure and they brought in Hush Blackwell. Uh, law firm to represent them, which is a 100% Republican lobbying firm, they said that, yeah, just parenthetically, (laughs) yeah, and they they said that they didn't really think they should pay that much. They they felt like maybe they should pay less. So uh, our Secretary of State, Bob Evnen, who's an active Republican, Mm -hmm. said, yes, he'd done some math, and really what they should do is pay 10% of the 230,000 And then they put it to a vote and it was a totally partisan vote. And then they voted to reduce it to pay one tenth of what this was supposed to be. So they had an opportunity to come down on a dark money group that had obviously violated the law. And it would have been a substantial penalty and good income to the Accountability and Disclosure Commission, you know, money coming in. And they uh, they they reduce it down to one tenth. So what does that one-tenth of what the fine was. I'd like to get caught speeding and say, you know, I just think that's too much. I just want to pay one-tenth of that. (laughs) And don't call it a fine, just call it a fee. And so they had these people in their crosshairs. They could have have held them accountable and they had every right to do so. And yet it it just happened that the Secretary of State, you know, was like, well, no. And then it was voted on partisanly and it just happened to be a group that gave millions of dollars to the governor's pet project. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. got it. So, You've got and it. And so basically like, there's no, there's no doubt that it was, Oh, you can't mess with these guys because governor. Yeah. Don't. So the know, word came out and they all, yeah. they all knew what and their job all, was. Yeah. And if so you're not a Rick, my, my question is, won't help you get reelected. So where, where is the accountability? Where's the disclosure? Where's that watchdog that's supposed to be watching out for us? Um, that's that's the issue that we have right now. Uh, so I I uh, I can only tell you what is happening um, as a person who w- worked in state government uh, for thirty years. I, I recognize a certain kind of management style going on. <laughs> <I've been. laughs> so I'm not going to say anything more than that. I don't think you'd be the only one to say that. Um, so, again, I've see, heard you speak, so I have this lovely chart you made about oh, yeah? other states. And when we talked about how there's, like, basically no limits on contributions in Nebraska, even red states around us have much more reasonable right. um, regulations on right. contributions. Yeah, so what are some what are what are the consequences to Nebraska when we don't hold these donations these people accountable and regulate this political donation? Well, I think that's really the bottom line that you need to look at. So we have this situation, but is it good or bad or what it is? 
I just recently had a, a guest editorial in the Omaha World Herald about this. Um, thank you for the segue on that. Um, but one of the things that has inadvertent that it has happened uh, is that since the implementation of term limits, donors have become very hyper partisan. So this this has allows since it used to be under term limits before term limits. Uh, somebody would get into office, and I'm just going to use Senator Chambers as an example because he was the longest serving uh, incumbent of all time, is that he never even filed reports because he did not raise or spend $5,000 to get elected. Yeah. So, But his example is true for a lot of long serving incumbents is that they just everybody just knows they're on the ballot. Nobody will even try to run against them. So the cost of their campaigns are actually very low. And they're just get to be a shoe in. But when they did term limits, you're just you're in for two terms or out. So that first time you get elected, it's going to cost you more because you got to get in there and you got to get known and you're only going to be there twice. So you don't get that advantage of being, oh, yeah, well, he's our guy and he's been here for 10, 20, 30 years or however long. So elections are just going to cost more because you're getting this new yeah. fresh supply coming through. That's but, a really good point. Yeah, so they're just going to be more. But when they did this, they had so many vacancies at first when they were just rolling into term limits that each party and Democrats and Republicans both did this. They went out and recruited people. And of course, the people they recruit, the Republicans recruited loyal Republicans and the Democrats did the same on their side. And then to help these guys out, and some of them were women, too. I mean, that. <laughs> both sides, they, uh, uh, they, they rounded up funders, people to donate to their campaigns. And the donors were, were, were party loyalists on both sides. And so when they got elected, they were tied to the donors that got them into office. And so they were expected to toe the party line in a way that had never been used before. See, this is so important because people complain about, well, he's been in office forever. He's terrible. Well, first off you have to vote for somebody else if you don't like them um but then second so many because of things like that i hear people even in other states who say like yeah we should have term limits and i'm like no there's actually it's not quite that cut and dry because i i know we've talked on the pod even about how it's hard to get quality legislators as well because they're hardly in there for long and then they got to go find something else to do. And so then, you know what, they become lobbyists and all this other junk um, that maybe like, that's not quite the right answer, but it never occurred to me that, that the term limits, I mean, it makes total sense, but that term limits also made politics so much more expensive. And I think most people are against that. Well, it's, it's driven the cost of elections up, but it's also yeah. made the legislature more partisan hyper-partisan and they're supposed to be non-partisan and yet we set in this one thing that made a chain reaction of all these other things we don't like. unintended consequences there was an interesting um, political science research paper that got national attention it was actually in the washington post that's how i happened to come across it and they uh these two researchers out of colorado uh looked at all the state legislatures and they determined that nebraska was the most rapidly polarizing legislature in the country ironically and they're nonpartisan. Um, Who said that? and and they uh was they were, i can send you the report okay. but anyway, 
And so they look back on this and they had all their research and lots of charts and graphs. But what the, what they were saying is that they blamed it on term limits. But I, I say, OK, term limits is set, you know, might have been a factor. But okay. really what made it happen was unlimited donations. That yeah. that 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 you could you depending on the your the donor is that you could throw such incredible amounts of money into the elections you can turn the election a nonpartisan legislature into a partisan legislature. So I would just say that yes, understanding the legislature and how it got there, I I think people really got sold a bill of goods on. Yeah. Uh, on this term limits thing, but I just wanted to say I think being a state a, a state senator is complicated and hard, and you don't learn it that quickly. I just think learning where the bathrooms are and where all the rooms are. I mean, that just takes a lot. But I mean, there's the rules of the legislature, and there's complicated policy that is very technical, and to learn this. But I would say that one of the big beneficiaries of term limits are lobbyists because yep. the candidates come and go but the lobbyists are all there. And they have now the institutional memory because they're the ones that can know, okay, 10 years ago, we did it this way. And five years ago, we tried that and it didn't work. And they, they hold that institutional memory there. But where do the lobbyists, the lobbyists are being paid by these elite donors. So if yeah. you want, they, they have this big presence there and they are in the pay of, of elite partisan donors. And this is how they, they kind of keep everybody in track. And these are the guys who really know what's going on. So yeah. this is another consequence. If we're talking about more about consequences, I just, um, um, there's a couple of other things that happen with our lack of regulation I just want to touch mm -hmm. on. Nebraska is one of the few states that doesn't have some rules about pay to play. And pay to play is certainly illegal at the federal level and it's illegal in most other states. But here in Nebraska, at the time, let's say you want to do business with the state of Nebraska and you have a contract in, and let's just say we're Centene, this big corporation out of St. Louis, and they want the managed Medicaid contract. And while this contract is for $1 billion, the biggest contract in Nebraska state history, I want, Centene really, really wants this contract. So why don't I give the governor $35,000 and why don't I pay every, every member of the Health and Human Services Committee a lot of money? And why don't I give the Nebraska Republican Party a lot of money to make this contract go through? And listeners, that happened. <laughs> yes, it's pay to play. And it would be totally illegal in most states and at the federal government, people would end up in prison. But it's totally legal in Nebraska, except for lottery vendors. So this is even playing itself out in Mead, Nebraska right now, where we have that alt-in uh, uh, mm -hmm. environmental disaster, which is really so... Ethanol, which is in back of this ethanol production uh, companies, suddenly have gotten all involved in lobbying and paying big high paying lobbies. But if you also look at these ethanol companies make big donations mm -hmm. um, to state senators, to the governor, political parties, one party, the Republican Party, uh, to um, make sure that their interests are well represented. And you know what else ties into me? A complete lack of regulation. 
not well, there was about yes. campaign finance anymore. I'm talking about well, environmental yes. so, regulation. So but. you can see that they were not their donations were not in vain. Is that right. they got this merger of these two agencies that has just blurred the line between yep. uh, environmental quality and uh, economic development, uh, yeah. which is just really tragic for the people who live around Mead. Yeah. Well, and the truth is, like, what will be the next Mead? Well, the thing, something that's already yeah. happening, we don't know about, or the thing that's coming down the pipe because with a lack of regulation, businesses will just do whatever they can to. I, I just feel that any kind of group that lacks representation, that doesn't have these elite donors in back of it, you are really, and I think about the, the contract that was with St. Francis Ministries. I don't know, that's, that's kind of uh, rehashing something that may have happened, what, earlier this year or last year, but St. Francis Ministries managed to get this contract for child welfare services in Omaha. There was another contractor, um, called Promise Ship, which was a, yep. a collaboration a of several, time. several. They'd had it for a long time. They were not perfect. I just want to say that. just not per But they put in a contract for something like $63 million. And uh, St. Francis did a lowball estimate, like $26 million, something very, very low. Unrealistic, yeah. Yes, and everybody said, nobody can do those services for that price. Nobody. They, they said, it's just impossible. And the person in DAS, Department of Administrative Services, who really didn't understand how foster care services are rendered or might be the cost of them, said, well, no, that was good to them. They took the low bid. And then St. Francis was unable to perform. And uh, we subsequently found out that the St. Francis Ministries had purchased some huge block of Chicago Cubs tickets. <laughs> Who owns the Chicago Cubs? Stephanie? Well, they, yes, I think you know. Yes, <laughs> and and uh, had done other things to uh, ingratiate themselves. I mean, it was quite scandalous. And they eventually couldn't perform, and now they have this huge mess. And it was so obviously the pay to play was involved. There's, you know, it wasn't a good situation. But I think this all leads up to something when, to me, the biggest tragedy of all of this, when you start looking at, is the loss of public trust. Mm -hmm. Is that people don't look to the government to be their helper. I remember when I was a worker, I was, you know, a supervisor and a trainer, and I used to go out in offices and do training. And I remember one time I, I, I came into the office and they're looking at me like, what are you going to do here today? And I said, well, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And they did. <laughs> and suddenly, I, you know, I realized that I have that kind of attitude. I have this idea that government should be a positive force in people's lives and it should do your life should be better because of what the government does. But I don't think a lot of people feel that way. And, and I think it's when they hear things like this, it is very discouraging to them. And I, and I think that they should feel like they need to assert themselves, as Senator George Norris said, as Nebraska's second house, mm -hmm. the voice of the people. And we need to hear that from people that they don't like it. They don't feel good about it. And I think somehow they have their their voices are stifled by the big money. And they are. I mean, they don't just feel well, it is true. Are. It is true. Yeah. So if I have anything to say about what I do is just to educate people and to bring it to their attention that we're not like other states and that things are happening uh, that that. Uh, elite contributors 
are controlling the agenda of the legislature for their own benefit. Yeah. What are some solutions that we need to take on? And I'm assuming these would be need to be taken on by the legislature, which is going to be hard to do when they're all tied into this system so deeply. But what kind of campaign finance solutions do we need? Well, I, in my League of Women Voters um, reports, I put together what I call the Cornhusker Big Ten of reasonable Nebraska-based solutions. And it's, it's things like limit donations from individuals and corporations and differentiate between non-individuals such as labor unions, PACs, corporations, mm-hmm. make some judgments there about how much is a reasonable donation. We need to end pay to play in-session fundraisers, um, and we need greater exactly. account- What's an in-session fundraiser? Tell me. Well, that's where pay-to-play can really be a lot of fun for these guys, and they're banned in most states. But let's just say, uh, and this isn't so out of whack, let's just say, theoretically, that today the legislature is going to vote on a tobacco bill. And the lobbyists that are associated with tobacco, like Altria, we have, they're very big players here in the Nebraska legislature, host a breakfast for the state senators at Billy's. That's where they have them. These are real life things. They, they, they come over to Billy's, they get a free breakfast, and then the lobbyists get up and explain their position on the bill. And before the senators leave to go back to the legislature, they all get big donations from the tobacco lobbyists. And they and, and they, can, they can oh, yeah totally legal and they put this money in their pocket and their bellies are full and they can walk right into the legislature and vote on that bill and it is such a um, an ethical dilemma it is like why would you do that why would you be so desperate for money that you would take a breakfast for breakfast and take all this money and then vote on this bill but that's what happens and it is. It, in, in, in many states. So, yeah, many states illegal. don't it's, allow it's, that. It, oh, yeah, it's plainly illegal. You'd go to prison for it. <laughs> and so, gosh, we could fill up Ricketts' prisons. He would be so happy. Well, you know, uh, you know, if you want to make something fun, is find out when these breakfasts are happening. I know people who know this stuff. And you could just stand out from Billy's and says, where's my donation or wherever it is, you know, and stand out there and embarrass them and take pictures of them going in and out of the, you know, these are the guys that, you know, are so desperate for money that they will crawl into a lobbyist breakfast for pancakes and eggs. Kate, um, you're going to need to email me the next time you, <laughs> you should put it out there, you know, just kind of, you know, just make it fun, but it is serious. And I think it certainly needs to be brought to people's attention that uh, in many states they, they ban is that lobbyists cannot host these in-session fundraisers. You just can't make a donation during the time of uh, legislature's in session. I don't know why you need a rule, but that they need that law. Apparently. What about, um, what about those ads those attack ads, is, are there laws in other places about those? These are laws, these attack ads, they specifically talk about, they come in the usually the last 30 days of an election. Yeah. And it's important because to they're know, not reported yet, right? Well, that's, that's where it gets fishy, is that um, 
the last 30 days before an election, let's just they they can send out these attack ads and it might be from Americans for Prosperity or Trees of Liberty or one of these dark money outfits. And it just has blatant, insulting, untrue kinds of statements. For example, in 2016, Les Seiler had these uh, postcards sent out that said he had a very, very poor attendance record and he shouldn't be reelected because of that. And uh, Jack Gould from Common Cause actually went in and looked at the attendance records and his attendance was better than most state senators. It was just a blatant falsehood. But in order to counteract that, You've got to have a lot of money there the last 30 days of the election, because most of the guys, they're kind of running low. Their fuel tanks are running low the last 30 days. And one thing that is true in politics, they don't take credit. you got to have the money to pay for it up front. Uh, and so there's nothing like, well, I'll just you know charge it. No, 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 no. You have to pay for it. And these mailings is maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars a mailing, and there may be seven or eight of them, and just alleging any kind of outrageous. In Al Davis's case, they circulated a rumor that says, "Oh, by the way, I've moved to Lincoln." He's from Hyannis, Nebraska, and they said that he had moved to Lincoln. Well, how do you combat something like that when well, that's it's not true? Did he live yeah, with yeah. Tom Brewer? Yes, he <laughs> ran against yes Tom and Tom Brewer, of course, lives in Elmwood. Yeah, Murdoch or whatever. Yes, yeah. and and Tom Brewer ended up being fined several thousand dollars for his uh, very very inadequate, distorted campaign filings that he did. He failed to report uh, expenses on his. Of course, nobody knew that until after the election. Um, so there's just all kinds of things that go on like this that in in other states it just would not happen because you could you just couldn't do it. I mean, well, I, you could do it, but you'd go to prison for it. Should we end term limits? Do you think that would help? Um, well, I think there's a lot of in between ter ending term limits. It would take a, sure. a change in the constitution. But if I had to just say step one is that we just need a bigger awareness that Nebraska has has um, so many, is so unregulated. And I would just say this because I'm from Nebraska and I always think we rank in about the middle of everything except for football. Well, we're kind of in the middle of football now too. But <laughs> I mean, when I see us compared to other states, so often we're just kind of, we're not only in the middle of the nation, we're just kind of middling all throughout all of this. And most of us are thinking like, that's okay. And I, I would say, okay. But when it comes to campaign finance regulation, we are definitely scoring an F. Um, and, and if we want, if I just want to go back to this dark money thing, because I feel like I left a leg in there um, about these campaign, these dark money ads, Nebraska is different than other states and at the federal level, because at the at the state and at the national level and in most states, if you mention a candidate's name or depiction in the last 30 days of an election, that's a campaign ad and it comes under regulation. But in Nebraska, uh, if you don't say the words vote for or support or something like that, then it's an educational ad. And it's not political and it's not, it doesn't come under regulation. So in, in <sighs> so they say that, and, but in, and they have created this exception. Now, one of the things that would help some of this is that for the People Act, 
would eliminate some of this dark money stuff. And we should be supporting that for sure. That this would help. Some. Well, it would it, it would be it would it would help a lot about some of the dark money outfits. It's not going to fix a lot of the stuff that we have with this unlimited donations, but it would fix that some of the dark some of the dark money issues. Yeah. But that's a federal act that you're referring that's to. That's a constitutional amendment that's it's getting passed in the Senate. It, it is passed the House of Representatives mm-hmm. and yeah. in the Senate. It, the, the, it's kind of slow moving there because we don't have the votes yeah. we need there. We've actually, uh, those, those dirty dark attack ads really get me. I might go and I've been collecting pictures of them for years now in a big file. <laughs> So that one day we can go, oh, remember that? <laughs> and share those. But I wish, I wish they'd rather just didn't exist. I'm friends with one of the senators and a terrible attack ad was sent out uh, against her right before the election and they put her head on someone else's body. Who, what was this one? I'm sorry, I didn't miss that one. Oh. I, who was the candidate? It, Wendy DeVore. Oh. They, they put her head on someone else's body. Well, then there was the Jen Day ad oh, where they was, showed mm-hmm. a picture of her and that they said, Jen Day, blah, blah. It wasn't Jen Day. Right. One of her campaign staff. Yeah. So you can, you can put it, you know, since you're in the public image, you know, you can pretty much say or do anything. You know, it always takes a while to figure this out. But Jen Day won and Wendy DeBoer won. If I could just say one thing about women running for office, because I get curious about this and I can play with my spreadsheets. What I found out is that all of the female incumbents that were up for their second term in the legislature, they're Democrat and Republican, 100 percent were reelected. That tells me a good thing. But if you take an average of all the money raised by men and all of the money raised by women, women raise slightly more. I think it takes more for a woman to get elected than a man. They're, they have to overcome a few more hurdles. But what is really holding women back, getting more women in, is we just need more women up to bat. Yep. Mm-hmm. We need more female candidates out there running because when they run, they win. Yep. Uh, they, they do well. Uh, we need they, But they, they do need to face that money hurdle. And they've got to be prepared to really come up, be able to get lots of donations. That's really great. I, I hear three really great things that there's a lot we can do that other states do to fix these problems. That when women run, they win. And that um, <laughs> Nebraska's current situation gets a grade of F. Yes, that's true. So th- those mm-hmm. are three big takeaways for me. And I, and I just have to come back to the fundamental decency of many Nebraskans. Of course, I'm small town and they are, I would say that we, we go, we have to be on the honor code with ourselves. We don't have a lot of the same kind of protections that you might have in a big city. And so there's a lot of taking care of business more in a family way and a cultural way and a small town way of doing it. But it really puts the responsibility back on people to to do their share. And I think that that fundamentally, I think that people in Nebraska want clean, honest government that represents everyone. And I just have to keep that in mind because I don't think they want runaway campaign finances where the richest guys, the guy that gets the most money from the elite donors is going to win. 
I just that doesn't feel good to me as a Nebraskan. Nope. I have to agree with you. Yeah. Me too. That that feels elitist, and I think Nebraskans hate elitism. Hate it. No, they don't. <laughs> elitism, elite. I've decided elite is is a term that was used by these two researchers. They use the word elite. And I think you, you just use the word in elite in Nebraska. It is not a good word. Mm-mm. But that what you're describing, you know, the way that the campaign finance is helping the rich only, that seems like it. So, well, Kate, this was a fantastic interview. Um, two things. Can you give us the link to your editorial so we can share it? And um, is there a way, is there a place where listeners could read your League of Women Voters um, report? Or can you link it for us for the show notes? All right. I am linking out here as we speak. Okay. Well, um, Stephanie, any other last questions? No, I mean, I I have a couple of questions for Kate for later to ask her about. Oh, sure. <laughs> Don't go anywhere, Kate. <laughs> and and I'm still giggling in my head when she was talking about, um, you know, uh, people's failure to uh, perform and then talking about the Cubs. That makes me just think of one person. But, you know, that's how that goes. So, <laughs> oh, Kate, we do have our last question, though. Have you read any good books you might recommend other than what I might recommend? Dark Money by Jane Mayer. <laughs> Yes, that's an excellent one. That should be a must-read book. Yes. She just recently had an, uh, a long article in the New Yorker, which was quite good too. Well worth the read. Um, I have two books. I usually I have an I have an Audible.com that I use when I walk, and I have another book by my bed. But my Audible book is um, How Democracies Die which I believe is a bestseller, but it really reinforces the idea how little things can chip away that look like they're democratic, uh, they're democratic laws that get passed, but they are, are they slowly erode democracy. And the, they, there's, these authors have kind of put together a progression of how democracies can be functioning and how things just chip away step by step and people don't really notice the difference until they're in an authoritarian government. And that it is just very chilling because it feels very much like what Donald Trump was doing in his administration. And it's a little scary. The other book I'm reading has just turned out to be absolutely fascinating. It was a book my son gave me and it's called 1963. And it is a month-by-month recounting from 1961 to 1963 with the Kennedy assassination of what was going on in Dallas, Texas. And if you think that the kind of extreme partisanship uh, exists now, you should see what Dallas was like in the 60s. It was just openly racist and uh, anti-democratic and uh, hmm. And it, from month to month, you see what these newspapers are saying and the editors are saying. Uh, it is it is quite remarkable. And I'm really into it now. I just never, you know, I guess I lived through that, but I didn't really absorb what those messages really were and what they meant. Both, yeah. both worth a good read. And Kate, I have um, our final question, which is, you know, I'm a little biased. It's my favorite question, mm-hmm. uh, aside from your biography, which is for people that are interested, they're maybe 
just kind of opening their eyes to all of the things that you were talking about, or maybe politics in general. Um, what kind of advice would you give to people that are um, wanting to join in the work? And you can define the work um, how you want and answer accordingly. Well, I just, I would have the idea that you find something that works for you. I am not a person that does well in groups and in, in crowds or things like that. Not that I had, I certainly was in Vietnam days. I was right out there doing the demonstrations, but at my age now, I'm 72. I don't do well in large groups. I'm hard of hearing. And so I find things that work for me. So whatever you find that works for you, whether it's writing a letter or having people in for coffee or signing a petition, um, go ahead and do it. And if I had one other piece of advice, people get too worried about what we used to do as if in the past it was all good and somehow we've gotten off kilter. And I don't think that anymore. I think the best way to do it is look forward to where, look, be forward looking, not, not be tied to the past. As a woman, I, I just think, thank God we're not back there now and to move forward and, um, give yourself the time to be human and it doesn't have to be perfect. When I tell people, when you write a letter, nobody cares whether you misspelled a word or not, or whether you did it with a pencil or you wrote it on a typewriter, mm -hmm. it all gets put in there and you get your point of view across. And that is plenty good. I totally agree. And I think it is so, I think that is such a natural arc of we start out as youth protesting in the streets and I'm so heartened to see that today's youth are, I mean, they're protesting at UNL every single night over. Yes. Good for them. Good for them. They should yeah. be up there every single night. I was and a college student in the sixties. Yes. Yes. Thank God. We have that those people standing up. I don't care if they get arrested or anything that they are doing the right thing. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I am in back. Yeah. And then as we grow older and we get more entrenched in the community and we have higher levels of power and connections and influence and get some like life wisdom and just, you know, as you go, the way you get involved changes and it grows. And I think the youth are great at sounding the alarm and then, um, on some of it and you know and then we need to follow and pull the levers that they can't get to um because they don't have the access or the connections or the life experience or whatever it is uh and then yeah just go where you fit you don't have to do with what everybody else is doing um but we can all amplify in different ways and influence in different ways i think that's really good advice to people for sure well, thank you, Melody. This has um, been a very good experience. I think you guys are terrific. Thank you, April and Stephanie and Melody. It's, it's been really a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this. Thank awesome. you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at
protonmail.com. 